Hi, I'm Mark Renner. This is Victory Over Sin. Saturday afternoon to you. My name is Mark Rennick. This is Victory Over Sin. What we attempt to do at the first part of this show is to let you know what we're attempting to do and who's paying for it. Victory Over Sin is actually funded by an advocacy arm of St. Vincent de Paul of Southwest Idaho. And what we're attempting to do is educate you, the Idahoan, about what it's like to be in incarcerated and to come back and blend back into community. We do it in several different ways, but certainly one of them is this radio show. And we've been doing this radio show for almost six years now. You can go back to the archives at KBXL and look at some of the old shows. You can go to Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Drive. We're on all those different formats wherever you listen to a podcast. Go back and look up some of the past shows. We've got a litany of people who have supported us and have come on the radio to talk about it. We've got a couple of governors. We've got some senators. Uh, we have people who have come out their first day out of incarceration and come right to the studio. There's even one show where a gentleman was going right back in and he was on the radio show before that. So we're proud of that body of work. If you want to learn about the Department of Corrections here in Idaho, it might be a place for you to learn something about that. Check it out. We're very proud of it, as I said before. In addition to that, we also do what we call a PowerPoint presentation. We will bring it to your church, to your business, to your neighborhood association, if you wish. It's about a 20-minute PowerPoint, and the great thing about this is it is led by a returning citizen themselves. So they share the information, and then they'll stay and answer questions about what it's like to blend back into community from incarceration here in the state of Idaho. If you've been listening to me over the years, you know that we've grown rapidly in terms of our services to people coming out of incarceration. We operate basically out of our main office in Boise, Idaho, which is at 3217 West Overland Road in Boise, Idaho. And from that location, we try to be the first stop for people coming out of the institutions located just south of the airport in the desert. Uh, We want them to come to our office. We provide them with resources, with clothing vouchers, with food, bus passes, and then we direct them in their efforts as they blend back into community. If you're listening to me in the desert, and you don't have a ride from incarceration, go to your case manager and say, I need Mark to pick me up, and we will take you through those first couple of days as you transition back into community. We'll be happy to do that, and we do that all the time. In addition to that, over the last year and a half or so, we've expanded. We now have an office in Canyon County, and this office is actually located inside District 3's probation and parole office. They actually give us a space over there so that when you're visiting your parole office, you can say, hey, I want to talk to those guys from St. Vincent de Paul. Come down to the office, and we'll help you with those same things there. We are very excited about the future. We've got some very positive things in the works in terms of funding for us to expand our services, particularly in employment. 
We've got three people now dedicated totally to just working on employment and transitioning people back into community. So uh, those are the things that you should look for in the future. If you need information on any of this and you're just driving around, go to our websites, www.svdpid.org. It all should be listed there. I am super excited who you get to meet with, a very special lady who has become a friend over the years and an organization that I'm very proud to be a part of also, and we'll be right back to talk to her. Idaho has an incarceration rate of 761 to 100,000 people, including prisons, jails, immigration detention, and juvenile justice facilities, meaning that it locks up a higher percentage of its people than any democracy on earth. Compare that to the United States, 664 people per 100,000, Canada's 104 people per 100,000, and Norway's 54 people per 100,000. What about our parole system? In 2019, Prison Policy Initiative graded each of the 50 states for their parole system. Idaho received a grade of F. How do we change this? We need your involvement, and we need your story. More importantly, you must tell it. Your Christian voice can support the need to change. Reach out to us and get involved. At the end of the show, Mark will share his contact information, or you can call the radio station, KBXL nine four one The Voice, and ask for links to Mark Rank. This Saturday afternoon, hey, this is pretty cool who I get to have on the show. I'm kind of honored to have Deanna Hoskins, who is, I'm going to call her a visionary. She is also the president and CEO of Just Leadership USA, of which you've heard me talk about in the past over the years. Welcome, Deanna. Thank you for doing this for me. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mark. Yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Deanna and birthplace and background and all that kind of good stuff. I know you're a Cincinnati, Ohio lady, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, born in the Midwest here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Attended my education here at the College of Mount St. Joseph, the University of Cincinnati. I have three children, um, two have experienced the correctional system themselves, and I actually have my baby girl who's going to be graduating in two weeks for Norfolk State as, with a pre-med. She wants to be a pediatrician. Wow. So Congratulations. Yes, I'm really excited and really proud of her and her accomplishment. That's fantastic. You're known mostly, as I talk about you, for Just Leaderships USA. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that organization that you are president and CEO of, if you can. Yes, thank you, Mark. So as you know, Just Leadership is the only national nonprofit founded by and operated by formerly incarcerated individuals. Our founder, Glenn Martin, founded the organization in 2014 on the premises of those closest to the problem or closest to the solution, but furthest away for resource and power to do anything about it. So therefore, we start Just Leadership with launch to invest in the leadership of people who are already leading in their communities but wanted to enhance their leadership skills to level um, their leadership ability to get people moving. So we started. he started the Leading with Conviction training, which is a one-year cohort-style fellowship of investing in the principles of leadership. We also have an Emerging Leaders where we go into communities and train communities on basic what we call advocacy and organizing one-on-one, policy one-on-one, so that communities have the understanding of how to advocate for whatever it is they want to advocate that's continuing to marginalize and oppress them. And we are actually moving into our third pillar of the organization by creating a C-suite curriculum 
for leaders who want to be in C-suite positions such as CEO, Chief Operating Officer, Chief Development Officer, and how do you start building those basic skills around those opportunities to be in those positions to lead organizations as we move forward? I know that it's uh, people have heard me talk about the organization over the years. I know that they know I'm really supportive of it. I did that Emerging Leaders Workshop in Chicago in 2016. Uh, immediately applied for the next cohort that was available to me and w- went through the uh, cohort in 2018. And I easily say, as I talk to people when I'm talking about this, in terms of the catalyst for changing the direction of the work that I do, it was an integral part of it in terms of linking up with it. You're listening to me and you have not conceived of being in a room when I was in Chicago with 60 people who, man, all these people had been incarcerated. And I thought, man, what in the world? And this is really powerful. (laughs) It's just almost like a drug that I said, this is really pretty cool. And so I put together uh, an application and was uh, accepted in 2018. And 2018 was a, I mean, I got to go back to New York, I think four times and got to uh, visit with uh, a different group of people. And it's almost, we, we became almost like a fraternity of sorts in that cohort, didn't we? And I think that happens for every year for the cohort. Is that correct? Exactly. Because I think we, you know, one of the things for me, I was a 2016 alumni So I came through the second cohort of the organization when it started the program. And what I discovered is you do this work and you're doing it really hard. You're doing it with the people in your area. But you had no clue amount of formerly incarcerated people across the country who are doing this work, who are leaders in their community. And you're all yearning for the same thing. And you all have been people that society casted off. But here we were taking our stand and owning our agency to say we have a right and we have a right to fight for these things. So it's kind of like you said, it builds a fraternity, it builds a family, a network. But the fact that this is something I don't think society ever expected to happen. And I always I say it to this day to everyone that our founder was brilliant of thinking of this concept of just leadership. It did truly. And again, I can't say enough about the people that uh, you get associated with in terms of that have gone through this group. Uh, You know, we've had... um, We've had people come up and become elected officials in the state of Washington. We've had people get their law degree. Have It's just you're in awe when you get together and think of the accomplishments. It's like I always felt like, you know, the little guy from uh, Idaho back with all these people. I'm thinking, wow, look at what all these people are doing. And it's just very, very powerful. And it gives you a, a sense that you can go back and accomplish absolutely anything. And I think that was exactly. what Glenn's original concept was, was not to make this huge organization that could influence people, but to empower those of us who've been incarcerated to go back out and fix our own communities. That's that's just such mm-hmm. a great concept. Exactly. It's really the investment in communities. And we talk about how the criminal justice system is one of the catch-all bases to the other failed systems, right? So even if we're talking about more investment in substance abuse, mental health, homelessness, some of those drivers that drive people to um, states of crimes and different things, how do you have that investment that the criminal justice system doesn't become the automatic, but it becomes the last result of people. But we have a system right now where our correctional system is the largest mental health institution in the country. It's even doing opiate addiction. 
I was just at a conference, and there's all this money being invested in opiate programs, and they're talking about behind the wall. And my question to the group was, why are we continuing to build a system that the only way a person can get help is to be arrested and incarcerated to receive the services that typically should be in our communities to help our communities be whole? And I, I, I since the uh, last couple of years, we now are becoming almost partnerships with the Department of Corrections where we're inside doing classes, especially around employment and around advocacy things. And I always end my talk by essentially learning the things I learned from you guys, which is you leaving this institution need to get out and be a part of that solution because you know it, you understand it, and you can articulate exactly what's going in. And it's so much, much more credible if it comes from you. And there's a feeling as you go forward to talk to a legislator or to someone uh, that has input over a policy, if you do it, you share your experiences, your story, if that gets out and gets told, it's much more powerful than somebody with a brand new MSW degree telling you about uh, some type of uh, addiction problem that you may or may not have. So that's the issue I think that's so powerful. Totally. And, it's, and it's so difficult. Totally for, agree. To, and, and it's like, as we are looking to expand, unfortunately, even here in, in the Department of Corrections in Idaho, I just, why are you not hiring people that have been in the system to come back in and do this and there's a reluctance to do that because of x y and z checks and all kinds of stuff so it's just it's so difficult to fight but you have to keep fighting correct exactly that was one of the questions that i had in that research room it was 75 researchers in a room from prestigious universities yale harvard texas university california university all doing these projects and research studies. And my question to them was, you have received millions of dollars to study us, but are you willing to employ us? Exactly. And how do we move from being the problem that you're trying to solve to be the solution to a problem you're trying to solve? Exactly. And I think one of the points that I've learned from you so importantly is it's not so much that you're going to hire us, we also want to be on your board of directors. I want to be there to yeah. say, look, I've been there. I understand this. And you say you're going to address things that are for the people coming out of incarceration. But if I'm there, I can articulate what that feels like. I can tell you what that feels like when you talk to me that way. I know what the, that population feels. Let me help you make it more approachable so that people will get involved in your organization. Yeah, and it's really utilizing that lived experience is your expertise that they don't have. So when we talk about directly impacted people, formerly incarcerated people, being in leadership positions, it's not being in positions where you're checking a mark. Um, one of the things I saw during the George Floyd movement is you saw a lot of organizations led by Caucasians stepping aside and putting a directly impacted African-American male or female in position but they didn't let go of the control. They moved themselves to president CEO and made the person ED. What we do know is that the president CEO continues to work with the board and set the direction of the organization. So even there, you're still exploiting us to check a mark that we're in leadership, but we're not making budgetary decisions. We're not making day-to-day -day operations decisions. We're typically just over the projects and putting our name and our face out there to make it appear as but when you say really having directly impacted people 
in leadership positions. It is being on those boards to be able to push back. It is being in a president CEO seat that truly sets the direction and the goal of the organization and not just being in a position where people are checking a mark, but it is truly being in those positions. I question a lot of times when people tell me, well, I'm on this board, and I simply start asking questions, do you understand a profit and loss statement, a balance sheet? And they don't understand it. So you're not a contributing board member. You're just there, and nobody's even teaching you, because even the best way to be prepared to become a CEO president is to understand the functional operations of a board of directors and to be actively engaged and understand those roles. So pushing even people who have been exploited or are sitting on board, educating them, which is why we're moving to the C-suite training, educating them so they can sit in those seats. You may have put me here to check a mark, but I actually am going to become a functioning operating board member yeah. where I can insert my voice in a very strategic and knowledgeable way. Yeah, no, you're, you're doing, you do this so much better than I do, but it's so powerful. This should actually anger you if you're listening to me out there and you've been uh, involved in the system. This should fire you up. You are worthwhile. You should be on these boards. You should be giving input. And you should, as you do that, then this confidence grows in you and you become a part of fixing the system. This system is never going to change by people at the department level of IDOC, Department of Corrections here in Idaho, changing something because they think it's not right. You have to be involved. You have to tell your story. You have to get involved and you have to be a part of it. One of the other things that you, why don't you address too is that when you're on these boards, you get paid to be on these boards. You need to be in a spot where you're compensated for what you're worth. You're not just volunteering to be on a board. You need to be involved and to be compensated, correct? Yes. That is one thing that Just Leadership tries to role model for individuals to understand. Any advisory committee or anything that we create, we actually compensate the individuals that are on those boards because your expertise is of value to an organization. And what I tell people, there are actual foundations who compensate their board members. They may not compensate them financially, but they may give them $25,000, $50,000 a year for them to choose what nonprofit they want to contribute to as a board member. There are corporate boards that pay people to be on boards. There are other boards that pay people stock to be on boards to have their voice. So even in these positions, when people are asking you to be on advisory committee, it should be a contract because you're providing knowledge there and soliciting your knowledge. You know, our executive vice president, Ronald Simpson Bay, has this concept that he says, if you're picking my brain, you're picking my pocket. Exactly. Because people are picking your brain to enhance their organization and your knowledge and your experiences of value to them, which is why they came to you. And they should be compensating you for that. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's a that's a concept that I think that's very hard for people because you think even I, I even know when people will ask me to do stuff, I've had to become an advocate. I'm not gonna do that unless you pay me for this. I mean you wanna go exactly. forward you wanna go forward and figure out how this is, uh, okay, go forward. But if you're not gonna pay me then I don't wanna be involved. I left a board this year in terms of 
because I was the only one on the board and they were looking to me because I was the only one that had been incarcerated. And I said, you want to try to figure out how to make this work in the Department of Corrections? And you don't have everybody's cell phone number in the Department of Corrections. You don't have the relationship that I have with the Department of Corrections. If you think you can do this from your perspective, then go ahead and do it. You're not going to pay me, then I don't want to play. I'm getting I'm getting too old for this stuff, you know? I want to put exactly. my... Exactly. <laughs> I think one of my biggest downfalls early on was I would... Before I started the office of reentry here in my hometown, people, services or organizations that I had went through myself returning back to the community would ask me to come speak at their huge fundraisers, be their keynote, talk, tell my story. And I was doing it. And then when I became director of reentry, I was at an event and a young man was telling his story, as we always do. But after the event, me and the young man sat down, everyone was leaving. And he made this comment to me. He said, Miss Deanna, I come and I tell my story. Everyone gets in their car and go home. I get on my, my bicycle and I find a hallway to sleep in. And it dawned on me, this nonprofit that had millions was extracting his story to raise millions, but yet he was homeless. Yep, absolutely. This is absolutely and at that moment, that bothered me. And that's when I realized no longer do we give our stories away because we are humans, we are struggling, and we have to be compensated for that because we cannot even allow the programs that actually provide service to exploit us in any manner as well. Well, like I said, I thank you for this is some of the stuff that you're teaching me. But let's talk about what's coming up next weekend uh, because this is really special event that's going to be in Washington, D.C. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yes, I'm really excited. So we have launched what is called the Just Us Coordinating Council. And again, this came out of a vision that I had. I was interviewing with a pastor, and his closing question to me was, if you can envision anything for directly impacted people, what would you envision? And I envision, I said, I would envision a march on Washington like the Million Man March, the Poor People's Campaign. I would love to see formerly incarcerated, actually are directly impacted, family members taking on Capitol Hill, saying we want to be recognized. And his response to me was, you know that's possible. And I had no clue. Therefore, we're a year later. We have kicked off this Justice Coordinating Council, which is what we're saying. We as formerly incarcerated have never had a presence of our own voice. When legislation is passed or moved nationally at the federal level, it's typically by individuals who exploit us to push their agenda. Therefore, even when the redlining happens in Congress and our voices are getting crossed out, the things that would enhance life for us, we don't have the power to push back because we're not leading the agenda. And that statement of, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, started yes, to ring right. true to me. Yeah. Um, so I realized, you know, we've been fighting for a seat at the table, right? And Shirley Chisholm said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Then I just woke up one day and I said, no, if they don't give you a seat at the table, we'll just go build our own. Right. How do we put our own flag posts in the ground and make our own state? And that is what this Just Us Coordinating Council is. We have specifically intentionally launched during Second Chance Month because what we're saying to the Capitol and to the world we are here, we have a voice, and we're going to have agency over our voice, and we're going to drive our own agenda. There are areas 
within the federal government policies and procedures that are actually on the books that allow the discriminatory practices against formerly incarcerated. And nobody flies at that area to address those policies. So how do we work with DOL and um, around workforce, economic mobility, and DOJ without identifying Department of Transportation puts out more money than any other agency in the federal government, but yet they have no connection in investing in the most marginalized and underemployed people in society. So how do we start identifying that? How do we push HUD to remove the word discretion and redefine homelessness that opens up the affordable housing across this country that the federal government pours into? That's right. Federal government only bars two criminal convictions out of their housing, right? right? A person who has to register as a lifetime sex offender and someone who was manufacturing methamphetamine while living in public houses. Right. But they allow local housing authorities to have discretion over those barriers. So you go to any jurisdiction and ask their housing authorities for who can't get into housing, and they end up with five to ten pages when the federal government only has two. So who's fighting or arguing with the federal gov- government demanding to pull the word discretion back and allow people who get federal dollars, because federal dollars are taxpayer dollars, right? Right. Those are our dollars, to give us access to housing and stop allowing people to legally bar us out of a basic human need. Nobody's flying at that level, and that's what we want to do with the JCC. But we also want to encourage members of the JCC. This is open to the 70 million people who have criminal records. Exactly. While we're the national JCC collectively, we want to see replications of local JCCs to work on local issues in their area where we actually support them. And then at once a year during Second Chance Month, we all come together across the country to show our force, to show our movement, and to show our agency that we are no longer accepting what is being dealt to us. Well, and I think that's the powerful thing, too, because we're going to run out of time. But I want to make sure that this is next weekend, and we're already booked up in terms of allotted space for us to do this. This is going to be a yearly event. I'm proud that I'm going to be there. I'll come back, and I'll let you know what happens. But we're excited about this and uh, to be on the cutting edge of this. And those of you listening to me here in Idaho, let's uh, mark your calendars. This is where you're going next year, and I'll let you know how to do that. Deanna, Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We'll get back with you after this is over with, perhaps, and talk about what happened and how successful it was, okay? Yes, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me, and thank you to all the audio holians listening. Listen, thank you. All righty, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Through Jesus there's victory All the chains that were holding me Kept me locked in captivity have been broken by grace so free when he poured out his cleansing blood motivated by his great love give me faith i need to rise above and sing a song of how i've overcome i've got victory over sin bringing peace to the fight within give me strength i need to start again Me 
Okay, as you can tell, that's pretty powerful stuff. Uh, you should be excited about that, Idaho. Uh, I am. I'll be happy to share with you what happens when we get back from this event next week. If you need to get in touch with me uh, or for any of the information we talked about, it's www.systemicchangeofid.com. You can send me an email at systemicchangeofidaho. It's all spelled out there at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Systemic Change of ID. We're on Instagram, Systemic Change of ID. You can even call us on the phone if you want to at area code 208 Look forward to talking to you next Saturday afternoon on Victory Over Sin.